from the AMF Podcast Studio, you're listening to the Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. And on this podcast, Doug and I uh, are going to talk about issues that are relevant to employers and businesses who are trying to navigate the health and safety regulatory environment. And we feel qualified to do this because this is the area of law that both Doug and I practice in. Right. Uh, But uh, to be sure, we are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers, uh, at least not while we're on the podcast. So we hope to just provide information. We're not trying to give anyone legal advice because every employer's situation is going to be different and present its own unique challenges and issues and business considerations. So when in doubt... Talk to your own legal counsel or safety professional. In our last episode, and actually the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about OSHA's approach to the um, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we've spoken about the fact that OSHA does not have any specific, specific standard for infectious diseases and instead is relying on other ways to guide employers' responses to this global pandemic. Now, OSHA's approach is a little bit different than some states. Uh, I think the one that's gotten the most attention recently is out of California. California's um, uh, COVID-19 protections uh, are coming under a lot of scrutiny, especially from employer groups. Uh, There is a group of employers that have recently filed a lawsuit to stop the state of California from uh, from adopting or from proceeding with these these standards. Uh, They are arguing that these um, standards are making it very difficult for them to uh, run their their businesses. In fact, some of these standards uh, require the employers to do things that are that go beyond what the CDC recommends. So I guess this is a long way of saying that um, we all are, as I began to say in the beginning, concerned about what federal OSHA is doing, but you got to also make sure that you are watching what your, your individual state is doing. Um, in addition to California, I'll just mention that I know Nevada, Michigan, Virginia and Oregon, they have all issued these emergency temporary standards with regard to um, to COVID-19. So you just need to make sure that you are um, you're cognizant of what is happening in your own state so that you're not only um, looking to the CDC and you're not only looking to, um, to OSHA. Is there anything you want to add about that? Yeah, no. So have any of the states, and I don't know if you know this or not, but have any actually adopted COVID-19 standards? Or are uh, they kind of all in the process of it? Or No, no, they have. The, okay. These, well, these, the states I just mentioned, the, uh, Virginia, Oregon, Michigan, Nevada, California, and I think there's even a couple others, they have these, um, their emergency temporary standards. So, and they yeah. are specific with regard to um, this pandemic. Is federal OSHA working on an emergency temporary standard that we know of? Uh, no, I don't believe they are. Yeah. It takes OSHA, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong or if you have a different understanding, about seven years to go from, from the initial idea of proposing a new standard to actually adopting a new standard. I don't know if there's a mechanism for a temporary emergency standard or not. I'm simply not aware of that. Are you? No, I'm not. 
All I know is that, uh, like, the bloodborne pathogen standard came out of the HIV epidemic back in the whenever it was. So in the eighties, yeah. So, and I don't know how long that it took them to adopt that. It'd be something interesting to look at. But um, yeah, I mean, seven years. Hopefully, we'll be well past all of this. Good God. In seven months. Yes, I agree. <laughs> or less, let alone seven years. So maybe maybe there's nothing that's going to happen there. But I was just curious if you'd looked at that recently. I haven't. But that begs the question, um, in the absence of a particular standard, what is OSHA doing? And we've, we've already described OSHA's use of the respiratory protection standard, and uh, I think we've referenced uh, PPE standards. We've talked about the guidance that OSHA has, has issued, which is not backed by any particular standard um, necessarily. And so then the question is, if OSHA wants to cite you, for you being an employer, for your actions or your activity or your behavior with regard to COVID-19, and you are not necessarily in violation of, say, the respiratory protection standard or PPE standard or, or something specific, what is OSHA going to do? How will they cite you? And the answer is that they will cite you, and this is what they have been doing, and they have actually been issuing citations um, this way, they will cite you under OSHA's general duty clause. And the OSHA general duty clause, it has four elements. It requires OSHA to, to prove four things. And it's basically, let me step back a second, it's a catch-all safety requirement which is used by OSHA whenever they don't have any particular standard um, that, they can, that they can cite to. And the way that they can cite you under this general duty clause is if they show four things. Number one, that there was some activity or condition in the employer's workplace that actually presented a hazard to an employee. Um, number two, that the employer or the employer's industry actually recognize that condition or that activity as a hazard. So basically it means that the employer knew that, that this hazard existed. They knew about it or they should have known about it. Three, this hazard, hazard has to be a serious hazard, one that's going to cause serious physical harm or potentially death. So we're not talking about like minor hazards that might cause like some kind of minor injury or minor health concern. It has to be a very uh, significant thing. And then fourth, there has to be something that the employer can do to eliminate this hazard. And if OSHA fails to um, satisfy any one of these elements, then, then that means the general duty clause citation would, uh, would fail. And I think that um, with regard to COVID, some employers are arguing that it's difficult for OSHA to satisfy that fourth um, that fourth element, because they might, they, they're saying, look, this is a global pandemic that exists anywhere and everywhere. It exists in our churches, in our homes, in our grocery stores. It exists all over. What can any one employer do to eliminate, to fight against this, this global pandemic? It seems like it's not something that the employer has uh, the power to eliminate or um, it's not a hazard that the employer has the power to eliminate or materially reduce. I think OSHA lots of times has different ideas about what's feasible 
than the employers have. I mean, I think employers might think that certain measures are unnecessary or too expensive or too burdensome or too whatever, and OSHA might say, well, if you can find a way to do it, you have to do it. And, I mean, if it means that you cannot, so, for example, operate your business anymore, right? then I don't see how a, um, a general duty clause citation could, uh, could survive. So, for example... We're all um, we're all probably well aware of SeaWorld and the trouble that SeaWorld had a few years ago. There is, of course, no um, there's no swimming with uh, seaborne mammal uh, OSHA standard. So OSHA turned to the general duty clause and cited SeaWorld under the general duty clause, and SeaWorld put up a number of defenses, not the least of which was. Having people, trainers, swim with the killer whales is our whole business model. That's what people come to see. It's, it's like, you know, this is why you pay to see a, a high wire act. Because right. this is a, this is a, it's a spectacle. And it's... They it, want to see people defy death. It, that is exactly what people want to come to see. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, however, um, SeaWorld also defended themselves by saying, well, look, you know, we have actually, uh, we don't really necessarily recognize this hazard because we provide such comprehensive training for our trainers that we've eliminated this hazard. So there really, there, there, is, no, sure. there is no hazard. There was also a, another case uh, re- involving a chemical company where there was a fire uh, explosion on their facility because they have these chemicals at their facility. They actually manufacture these facilities, these chemicals. Hmm. And OSHA said, hey, you got to get rid of these chemicals. And they're like, great, but that's what we do. You know, we, we make these chemicals. Yeah. So no chemicals, then no company. Mm-hmm. And they were able to successfully um, challenge that. But I, I don't see... SeaWorld wasn't so lucky, though. SeaWorld was not lucky, right? No. You're right. Yeah. SeaWorld lost. Um, they appealed to um, the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia... And they lost there, and there was a, a, a hitherto relatively obscure judge um, on the 10th, or on, not 10th, on the um, D.C. Court of Appeals named Brett Kavanaugh, who wrote, who wrote an, uh, a very interesting dissent in that case. And yeah. he said, you know, who knew that OSHA, essentially he said, who knew that OSHA would be empowered to put a speed limit on the Indy 500 Mm -hmm. or to control what's happening on the football field and and so on and so forth. And he was making the case that this is really going well Way too far, yeah. Way too far, Mm -hmm. farther than what Congress intended back in uh, in 1970. But that, you're right, I mean, that that argument did not succeed, and so SeaWorld lost that case. And so when you go to SeaWorld today, I don't know, have you been to SeaWorld? I haven't been to SeaWorld since I was like 10. Yeah, me it, so does it, it still exists in, what, California, Florida? I think it exists. But no whale show. No yeah. more Shamu. Well, they have Shamu? Oh, no, they have them, but they, and they have the trainers, but they just are not swimming with the... Oh, they do. The trainers are not in the, in the pool, in the tanks anymore. Gotcha. Um, and as far as I know, I mean, I don't know what's happened to their business model or what's happened to their sales and whatnot, ticket sales. Um, but yeah. I, st- I think they still exist, and, and it really didn't destroy what they're what they're doing. 
let's go back, bring this all back to COVID-19. In that case, OSHA would say, well, look, you have SeaWorld, you have the means to eliminate this, ha or to eliminate this hazard. And I think that they're going to say the exact same thing to employers with regard to COVID-19. There are very simple things that you can do to eliminate the hazard posed by, um, by this pandemic, such as the engineering controls or administrative controls. And then on top of that, you've got your PPE and your masks and, and this, that, and the other. So OSHA would say that it's a no-brainer that these four elements of the general duty clause would apply and would stick if an employer would challenge that. Yeah. At least I think so. So that's what we're, we're looking at right now is just the general duty clause as the primary means for in, uh, OSHA to enforce um, or to, uh, we'll say, encourage employers to uh, behave with regard to COVID-19. And then, of course, there are the other standards that are being kind of a, adopted for this purpose, like the um, respiratory protection standards. So what would bring OSHA out uh, to conduct a COVID-related inspection? I mean, when would they issue a citation under the general duty clause? Well, if an employee calls OSHA, makes an, a complaint, uh, and says that the employer is not doing things to uh, protect the employees, is forcing the employees to work close together, um, not following respiratory protection standards. I mean, that's what comes from... So like your hand soap yeah. comment might be, you know, hey, the women's restroom hasn't had hand soap in it for the last four days. I'm going to pick up the phone and call OSHA and complain about this because we're in the middle of a global pandemic and my employer can't be bothered to refill the, the soap dispenser. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the last episode, we talked about um, some of the practical things that OSHA wants to see us do as employers to take care of our employees like put soap in your soap dispensers. Not a big deal, but right. it very well could be if your employees can't wash their hands. Right. Um, so I, I now I'm not. Uh, are you familiar with the um, with those kinds of complaints? Yes. Yes. In fact, um, I mean, aside from the healthcare industry, the non-healthcare industry clients that we service, all of their inspections have been related to, well, all the ones that I've worked on have been related to employee complaints. About what, anything in particular? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, social distance issues, not wearing a face covering type of issues, um, just, you know, sharing a, a truck, sharing a, you know, like construction yeah. workers, too close Sometimes they share a, a cat, you know, they three or four of them in the cab of a truck, and that's obviously a problem. So um, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think we should call this episode Orca's Hand Soap and COVID-19. Then we shall. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's break there. Okay. Anything else for the good of the order? Nope. All right. Me either. Well, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. And we'll talk to you next time.